From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. A very warm welcome back to Torah Study. So here's the dealio. It's been a few weeks. Two weeks. We were off for Pesach, but we're back better than ever. We've got a new season of Torah Studies that begins right now. And right out of the gate, we have a very special dedication. Um, tonight's class is dedicated by Adina Malka Northrup in loving memory of her dear father, Paul Gorman, Paul Ben Harry. And uh, certainly want to wish uh, Adina Malka blessings of long life and happiness and only revealed blessings. May your dad's memory be for an eternal blessing. And may he indeed bring blessings for you and the entire family and everyone who needs blessings should be blessed. And he should be a good advocate on high, a good, um, as they say, a melitz. Yosher, a, uh, a good advocate, a good advocate on high, a good to better for, uh, okay. for you and the whole, and the whole mishpacha. All right. Okay, let's begin our studies. All right. Oh, well, welcome. Who did I not welcome yet? Ray, welcome. Okay, let's get these passed around because we have quite the discussion tonight. These are not stapled like they usually are. I, I know, right? Oh, no, it's, it's a it's complicated, it's a complicated story, friends. All right, we'll get to it afterwards. By the way, oh, let me see if I can grab this. By the way, leave the past behind, exactly. Oh, all right, friends, if you were here in person, Babka and Black and White Cookies, we don't just say that for no reason. This is legit. So join us. You can still drive over. And, uh, and join us if you wish. Okay, uh, here is the deal. Adina Malka, no, none of those chocolate round, um, not yet, not tonight, but when we have them back, I, yes, the mud balls, right, right, right. But when we have them back, I will let you know. Okay, so tonight's class is all about turning over a new leaf and all about personal rehabilitation. It's all about change. And I'll tell you this, it happens so often in our society it happens, um, I mean, it, it's a life thing. It's not like a societal thing. It's not a 2022 thing. But it is a thing where uh, today, maybe more publicly than ever, people that are in prominent roles, you know, whether it's in politics or maybe it's in the media or maybe it's Hollywood or maybe it's uh, in sports and athletics, prominent individuals do things that are not so, shall we say, kosher, right? <laughs> Scandals scandals, right? And then, then what happens? So often there is the apology tour. Oh, the apology tour. I'm so sorry. And they go around and they go on this show and that op-ed and whatever. I'm so sorry, etc. And the question is, what is the Jewish take? What did you say? Exactly. What is it? Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Time out. All right. We're, we're going to let that go. Bottom line is, the question is, what is our take? When I say our take, what's the Jewish take on apology tours? Is it, what's, what, what's, the, what's the right way to respond uh, to 
one's own shortcomings. Somebody, you, you fall short, you mess up, and again, you don't have to be a public figure to have this conversation. You mess up, you do something wrong, it hurts someone, it, it compromises your own values, etc. Now what? So what is the Jewish, what is the Jewish perspective? We, all, we certainly all know, are familiar with the term teshuva, which is usually translated as repentance, literally means return, but what does that actually mean and what, what does it entail? So tonight we're going to get into this topic, the topic of personal rehabilitation, what it means to turn over a new leaf and to correct the past or move on from the past. And really that itself is a question, like what's the ideal? Are we supposed to just be moving on or trying to somehow correct the past? What is the best, um, what, what is really the, be- the best approach? So to understand this and to really get into this topic, we're going to look at this week's Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is called Achare. And it speaks of, it opens, there's a lot of very interesting um, discussions in this week's Torah portion, but it opens with a discussion of what the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, or as I like to call him, the big kahuna, right, the... Huh? The ko, ko, right, Kohen, ko, right. so yeah, Gadol. So what the Kohen Gadol would do on the holy day of Yom Kippur, one day a year, um, that is set aside for atonement and forgiveness. We're right on theme already. Look at that. So Yom Kippur, as we know, well, it's six months from now. So we, we're, we're a little bit early as far as this con- this topic, um, as far as the calendar year. But vis-a-vis the Torah portion, that's how this week's Torah portion opens. A discussion about what the Kohen Gadol, what the high priest would do in the temple on Yom Kippur, which offerings he would bring, what, what, what the protocol was, the animals that he would offer, the incense. He would go into the Holy of Holies and stand in front of the Ark. This was the only time in the year that he would go into that most sacred of spaces. He would not wander into that place any other time. It was a very dangerous thing to do. Otherwise, you only did it in the proper context. In fo- part of the service included a bull and two goats. Let's talk about the goats. We talk about this, by the way, we, we read about this um, in our prayers on Yom Kippur in the section of the afternoon prayers called the Avoda. It's like deep in the afternoon when everyone's feeling the, real, the full effects of the fast. And uh, we talk about exactly what the high priest would do in the temple on Yom Kippur because you know, we're, we're kind of like reimagining, not reimagining, but not reenacting, but re-recalling, that's a good word, recalling what was done at that time. So the Kohen Gadol would have, amongst other things, two goats. These goats were identical, and he drew lots. There were blocks of either wood or gold, depending on the, the era of the temple, which temple era it was, and on one of them, it said the word Hashem, which means to God. The other one said La'azazel, which means to be sent away, for lack of a better term. And he picked up one and applied it to one. He picked up the other, applied it to the other. One was Hashem for God. One was La'azazel, to be sent away. The one that was for God was sacrificed in the temple. And the one to be sent away was, you guessed it, sent away. Well, before it was sent away. Not where? Before. Ooh, now you're asking the tough questions. Yeah, about that. About that. The uh, PG version or the real version? The real version is the goat was sent off the edge of a steep cliff. I I know this raises more questions than answers. But 
Sorry, got to run. Got to move forward with this class. That's it. We got so much to cover. Listen, in DPP, in our daily, daily Power PowerShell class, we've been covering this extensively. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of symbolism in it. And ultimately, it sounds kind of odd. Um, but this is what was done. There was one goat that was sent that was slaughtered and the other goat that was sent off the, off the steep cliff. There was a, um, anyway, th there's a lot to discuss about that, but we will, um, let's leave it at that. I want to get into the confession that the high priest recited before sending the goat away. As kids, we learned that the goat was sent away. A little bit older, you realize that the goat was sent away, Lazazel, to uh, a specific destination. Hey, Marnie, good to see you. Welcome, welcome. All right, so I'm going to pull up the text on the, uh, on the computer screen, and let's get, uh, let's get rolling with this. Hold on a second. Technical difficulties. All right. Boom. We got it. Marnie, grab one of these, please. And we are on, let's see what page we're on. In the booklets, should be pretty much close to the beginning. We're page number three. Look at that. Page number three. Uh, Marnie, if you don't mind reading text number one, this comes from our Torah portion. And remember the context, just to be very clear. Uh, yeah, English. Um, just remember the context, please. This reading is referring to what the high priest would do with the goat that was to be sent away before it was sent away, which is why it's referred to, as you'll see soon, as the live he-goat. The live he-goat is, uh, is in contrast to the not live he-goat, i.e. the one that was slaughtered already. So there was one that was slaughtered, Lashem, and then the live he well, I know, the live he-goat won't be live. They're both, right. But it means the other one had already been slaughtered. This one was still live, but it's not going to be live for some. All right. Marnie, please read this one nice and loud. Verse 20 and on. Okay. And the high priest shall finish effecting atonement for the holy, the tent of meeting, and the altar, and then he shall bring the live ego. And, and Aaron shall lean both of his hands upon the live ego's head and confess upon it all the transgressions of the children of Israel, all their iniquity and all of their sins, and he shall place them on the ego's head and send it off to the desert for the time of man. The ego shall thus carry upon itself all the sins of a precipitous land, and he shall send off Okay, thank you. So what we see here is that he does a few things. Aaron, I'm just going to recap this quickly. In verse 21, Aaron leans both of his hands upon the live he goat's head. We call that smicha. He leans his hands on his head, on the, on the goat's head. Then he confesses. Now confess is vehisvada. It's the vidoy. He, he, verbal confession. He confesses. He confesses all uh, the transgressions, the iniquities, and the sins of the people, and he metaphorically or symbolically places them on the he goat's head. Now, that doesn't mean that he's actually physically placing sins on the head of the goat. It just means symbolically he is, yeah. But the question is, how can you put everybody's sins on a goat in such a short period of time? <laughs> Marnin's asking, how can you put so many sins on a goat? Yeah, you're saying the upload speed. It was a quick upload speed, right? He uploaded the sins to the goat, and then the sin, and then the goat, I guess, was downloaded. Right. All right. Listen, 
It, it, who knows how long this took? It was, uh, it was a, an instant transfer, I guess. It was a very quick, very, a lot of bandwidth. Spiritual. Spiritual transfer. So placed, symbolically, obviously, placed uh, the sins on the goat's head, and then he sends it, sends it off uh, to the desert with a timely man. And by the way, the next verse 22 clarifies um, it, the goat is sent to a precipitous land. A precipitous land means uh, steep land. And that's the cliff, that's in a, I mean, it's kind of saying it's the cliff that it's pushed down. And then he sends off into the desert, literally into the desert. What's interesting here is, uh, there's a lot of interesting things here, but one interesting thing is that as you notice, uh, when it talks about what he's confessing, there are three expressions here in the English. Now, the English is not really going to help us, but let's just first note it in the English. We have transgressions, we have iniquities, and we have sins. If I ask you the question, what's the difference between a transgression, an iniquity, and a sin, I don't know that any of us could come up with an intelligible answer. In other words, we would say, well, a transgression is doing something wrong. Iniquity is doing something wrong. And a sin is doing something wrong. They all kind of sound, sound like the same thing. Maybe, you know, Miriam Webster has some sort of, you know, subtle distinction. But honestly, that's why we study Torah in Hebrew. I mean, we can read it in the English, but if you really want to know the meaning of, of, of a pasuk, of verses, of the Torah, you got you to gotta go to the Hebrew and to the original commentaries, OG commentaries, and the commentaries explain what the distinction is between transgressions, iniquities, and sins, and no, they're not all the same thing. They're three very different experiences. So let's talk about what that is. But first, before we talk about what that is, let's look at Rambam, at Maimonides, because what Maimonides does is he clarifies that this is not just something the high priest would do on Yom Kippur with the he-goat about to be sent off the cliff, but this is something that every person should do when they do tshuva. In other words, verbal confession, not on a he-goat. Sorry, let me clarify. Not on a he-goat sending the goat down the cliff, but the concept of vidui, a verbal confession, saying, I did this wrong, I'm owning up to it, right? That is something that should be done whenever somebody does something wrong. And this is clarified by Maimonides in his Laws of Teshuva, literally chapter 1, uh, um, Halacha 1, the first teaching of that chapter. All right, so, Elio, please read this one nice and loud from Rambam. If a person transgresses any of the mitzvot of the Torah, whether a positive command or a negative command, whether willingly or inadvertently, when he repents and returns from his sin, he must confess before God, blessed be he, as is written. If a man or a woman commits any of the sins of a man, they must confess the sin that they committed. This, aver- this refers to a verbal confession. This confession is a positive command. <coughs> How does one confess? He states, I implore you, God, I sinned. I transgressed. I committed iniquity before you by doing such and such. I regret and am embarrassed for my deeds. I promise never to repeat this act again. These are the essential elements of a confessional prayer. Okay, so Rambam says that anyone, any man or woman who commits a sin or, you know, or these categories, somebody who does something wrong should, must confess the sin that they committed. It's a biblical commandment. It's a verbal confession. It's not knowing it in your mind. It's not feeling it in your heart. All that is also true, but it's verbally saying, it's verbalizing, I did this wrong. And he says, Maimonides writes the script. He says, Hashem, please God, I implore of you. God, I sinned, I transgressed, I committed iniquity before you by doing, and then it says in the bracket, such and such, insert your, it's like Mad Libs, right? Like insert your, your favorite um, sin, transgression, or iniquity at that point, 
And then you say, I regret embarrassing my ideas. I promise never to do it again. Boom, that's your verbal conf confession. But what we see here, before we take this apart further, we do notice the same um, uh, thing that we notice from the, from the biblical verses, and that is that we have three categories, sin, transgression, and iniquity. The question is, no, what's the difference between sin, transgression, and iniquity? Yeah, you got something? Yeah. What you got? Okay, a transgression is an act against the law, and inequity is immoral or grossly unfair behavior. Interesting. It is, and a sin is an immoral act against divine law. Interesting. So, so Linda looked it up and saw that in English, in the dictionary, there are distinctions between it. So we have a transgression is against the law, an iniquity is something against the moral or ethical standard, and a sin is against something divine. So it's a spiritual uh, flaw. That might be in English, but in the Hebrew, we have a bit of a different understanding. I, I, we'll, we'll have to see if maybe we can, uh, we, can, we can connect them, but I want to share with you the Jewish or halachic, the, the, the Jewish understanding. And this comes from the Talmud, and you don't have to take my word for it. Let's read it inside, text number three. Rabbi, yes, Rabbi, before we do that, yes, yes, Adina, I'll jump in. Um, I want to ask you before we move on, because I promise never to repeat this act again. You say Brinader? I mean. Yeah. You're back to the goat. Oh, you say Brinader? No, Billy. Billy. Billy Nader. That was a joke. Uh, this is a joke. Billy. Oh, 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 Bi okay. <laughs> Sorry. I couldn't resist. All right. Billy Nader. Um, you sincerely, at that point in time, one is one ought to sincerely believe that they're not going to do it again, which means they should say, I'm not going to do it again. Because otherwise you're saying, well, if it happens, it happens. You know, you people are people. And then it's not really, not really the confession that we're looking for. When I say confession, I don't mean like in court. It's not really the making amends. It's kind of like, I'm so sorry, could happen again, not sure, you know, We'll see. That's not, that's not really, it's, it should be a, this is not happening again. Look, I'll tell you what it says in the Talmud also. We don't, I don't have this in one of the texts, but, you know, human beings, if somebody asks for forgiveness, I'll never do it again. And then, okay, I forgive you. And then they do it again. Mm, they're less reliable at that point, right? You're less like, but imagine you say, okay, I forgive you. And then they do it again. Now you're like, you kidding me? All right, I forgive you. And then do it again. You'll probably say after three or four times, you know what, bro, see you later. I'm done. I'm out. Like, just don't come back. Like, do your thing. I'm not interested. Okay. But God, every day, every Yom Kippur, God's like, yes, I, I'll take you back, which is kind of cool. Erech apayim. God has infinite patience. Thank God. <laughs> Thank God for that, because we have infinite number of things that try God's patience. As only God knows. Um, okay, now, I'm not trying to speak negative of ourselves, by the way. You know, it's, there's a prohibition against Lashon Hara speaking ill of someone. That prohibition is against oneself as well. So we should never speak ill of ourselves. But just, you know, as we know ourselves, sometimes we're not always perfect with our commitments. Doesn't matter. In the moment, we should be sincere and we should mean it. And then we'll deal with what happens later, later. All right, let's get to text, uh, text number three, where the Talmud describes the distinction between the different types of sins. And Linda, you read the English, uh, uh, the, the, the dictionary's definition. Here's the Talmudic definition. Please read nice and loud. Uh, where, 
Text okay. three from the Talmud. Okay. Transgressions, avonot, refers to intentional sins, iniquities, pishaim, pishaim, yeah. refers to rebellious sins, all their sins, chataot, refers to unintentional sins. So let's break this down. We have avonot, which are transgressions. Let's just stick with the Hebrew for now. Transgressions are intentional sins. Okay, and I'm going to define this in a moment. Iniquities are rebellious sins. So, so far we have intentional sins and rebellious sins. And sins, I forget all, the sins refers to unintentional sins. So, let me explain. I'm going to start from, I'm going to create my own order now just for clarity. There are things that we do wrong that are unintentional. I had no idea. Like, for example, you think you're eating something that's kosher. Turns out it wasn't kosher. I had no idea. Or maybe you didn't know that you, maybe you didn't know about kosher altogether. So like, ah, oh, I didn't know. So there's, there's different ways of, of, of being unintentional, right? So I didn't know what I, I didn't, either I didn't know that this was, I didn't know that this was problematic or I knew it was problematic, but I didn't think that I was doing the problematic thing. Either way, it's unintentional. I don't think I have to believe, uh, unintentional means I didn't know, I wasn't aware. Then you have intentional. Intentional means I know I shouldn't be doing it, but I can't hold myself back. I want it. I need it. That's it. So it's intentional in the sense I know I know I shouldn't be doing it. I'm doing it anyway. Why? Because the, the, the desire, the temptation, the need, whatever it is, is too great. That's intentional. So we have unintentional, right? Simple, intentional, I think also simple. Then there's rebellious sins. What are rebellious sins? <laughs> rebellious sins are the worst category, the most severe category. Rebellious sins are not like, oh, I need, I, I, like, I need this, or I, I want this so much, I don't care that it's wrong. Rebellious sins are, I'm going to do it to spite God. The dafka, right. Dafka. Because God says, no, I'm going to say, not because, again, it's different. Somebody says, like, oh, I have such a crave, I can't hold myself back, I must have it, oh, fine. So that's intentional, okay, but you know what? His passion overtook him. But someone who says, Right? I'm only doing it because God said no, so therefore I'm going to say yes, the dafka. That's called a rebellious sin. Funny story, funny story, um, maybe poignant story, powerful story. I'll let you decide. Rabbi Adin Steinsaltz, one of the great scholars of, uh, of our era, an Israeli scholar, a, a Chabad, uh, Chabad rabbi as well. He translated the Talmud, Steinsaltz. So he was just a brilliant mind. The story goes that he once met a fellow professor. He was a professor in Israel. He met a fellow professor who was not yet religious. And this fellow tells him, they were talking about Yom Kippur, perfectly on topic, and this other professor tells him, on Yom Kippur I have a custom that I wake up in the morning and I make myself a bacon and, and cheese sandwich, like everything sandwich, and I eat it on Yom Kippur morning. Right? Or maybe Kol Nidre night, whatever it was. He like, he, like, and I do it, bedafka, right? Dafka. I do it, like, so Rabbi Steinzel says to him, good. So you and I both observe Yom Kippur. <laughs> I observe it my way, and you observe it your way. Right? The, the point is, if you're really trying to stick it to God, it means he's under your skin. <laughs> that means he's under your skin. You're still, right? He still has you. God still has you. So, but anyway, there's three categories of, of, of sins. And we can all, we've all been to, uh, on one occasion or another, we've all encountered these three categories. One is the, just to clarify, a chet, which is just 
sin is unintentional. Then you have uh, transgression is intentional. You knew what you were doing, but you, you did it anyway. And then you have iniquities. Iniquity, that's like, mm, you, were, you were trying to specifically do it because it's wrong to stick it to God. All right, that's already next level. That's already next level. And that is the third, the third degree. The question we're going to get to at this stage, now that we understand that the high priest on Yom Kippur, before the, the, the second goat was sent away off the cliff, before that goat was sent away, the high priest said a confession, and he said a confession confessing for all three categories of sins amongst the people. God, you forgive, place all of the sins upon the head of the goat. Which sins? The unintentional sins, the intentional sins, the brazen, the chutzpah sins, right? all the sins should be on the goat and all the sins should be sent away and cleansed, everything. And as Rambam says, I'm just recapping what we've done until now. Rambam, Maimonides says, that not only the high priest and Yom Kippur with the goat, but all of us in present times, all of us, whenever we need to make amends, whenever we've done something wrong, we should verbally confess, you know, speak before God and say, I messed up, I did this wrong, I'm not going to do it again. And we should mention whatever either unintentional sin or intentional sin or brazen act of defiance, whatever we did, we should verbally confess. The question now that we're going to address is, why confess? What's the purpose of the confession to begin with? Why verbally confess? Why is that a part of the tshuva experience? Why do you think? Why is verbalizing it important? It makes it more real. It, it Good. makes it aloud. You're putting that out into the world. Good. All right. So Lin, Linda's saying that when you verbalize something, it makes it real. What else? What's the power of, and it's open to everybody, what's the power of verbalization? Well, God also hears. God hears? Good. So he can read our minds. Uh-oh. Now we're in trouble. Um, more commitment. Oh, oh, good. Good, 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 good. When you verbalize something, you're a little bit more committed. Not for God so much as it is for you. For you to hear. So it's God. God hears it either way. It's for you to hear. Good. What else? What else? To release it. I mean, if you to let it out there, to really, kind of really let it go. Okay, let's look at the Chinuch. Sefer HaChinuch. Sefer HaChinuch is a wonderful book that traces the rationale for all the mitzvahs of the Torah. And he writes something, I think, that's very fascinating. Sandrine, if you don't mind, read text number four. Again, nice and loud. This is from the Chinuch. He gives two rationales for the, 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 the mitzvah of verbalizing the confession when we've done something wrong. By verbally acknowledging his sins, the sinner expresses his thought and his belief that God knows all his deeds. Thus, he doesn't pretend that God seeing I cannot see. Also, by mentioning the specific sin and regretting it, he will be more careful to avoid it in the future. Having verbally announced mm. that I have done such and such and act foolishly, he will restrict himself so that he doesn't repeat it thereby finding favor before his creator. So, the chino, thank you. The Chinuch says two things, and I'll just repeat these two points. Number one, if you kept it inside your mind or your heart, you might still be thinking that maybe God doesn't know about it. Does that make sense? It's almost like, I'm going to keep it on the down low, and maybe like no one knows about it. By putting it out there, you're kind of saying like, it's out there. This is like, it's real. And you're acknowledging that God does know and God does see. It's just there's something about putting it out there that, 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 that owns up to the fact that, yes, 
It's out there. It's done. God knows it. I'm not, I'm not trying to hide it. Maybe that's the right way to phrase it. If you're trying to keep it inside, you're almost still hiding it. When you verbalize it, you're no longer hiding it. So that's number one. Number two, when you verbalize it, you kind of uh, commit yourself into, into, into the better behavior. You kind of lock yourself in because you're verbalizing. It becomes real. As we said before in the conversation, the discussion, verbalizing something makes it more of a, of a tangible, real thing. Now, when do we confess? When do we recite the confession? So you might think that every time you do something wrong, boom, you recite a confession. That might be true also on a personal level, but collectively or um, the way that Judaism canonizes this and codifies it, there are two major moments of verbalizing confession. One is done on an annual basis, and the other is done once in a person's lifetime. Do you know what they are? When do we do this on an annual basis, verbalizing confession? Yom Kippur. Right, Yom Kippur. We actually don't do it once. We do it about eight to ten, depending on your nusach, depending on the liturgy that you have, eight to ten times over the holiday, over that 25, 26-hour period of Yom Kippur. And when's the second opportunity? And that's annual, obviously, but when's the second opportunity that we do the vidui, do the confession? Just prior to death. Just prior to death, exactly. So those are the two, as I said, once, once in a lifetime, that's when we do. We do it um, form, formally. We do it every Yom Kippur and in proximity to one's passing. So that's when we do it. There's a text from Imani's on this that we're going to skip. Um, but I want to focus on, I want to focus on, the, on, on text 5b. Skipping text uh, 5a. Rabbi, yeah. Rabbi, what if the, the passing is unexpected? Then you can't do it. Then you can't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But in, in a case where it seems to be headed that direction, then it would be said. By the way, there's a lot of discussion in the Code of Jewish Law about this. Because if you do, if you do the vidu is to help somebody who's on their way, you know, uh, preceding their passing with the vidu, they might get very despondent and say, that means I'm done. So the whole protocol is you tell the person, many people have said it and recovered. I mean, you don't want to give false hope either, but the point is it's not necessarily, you know, but you want to say it just to get it in just in case, that type of thing. You don't want to, you, you, there's a prohibition, and this is a general point. We are prohibited to inducing any type of fear or panic in, in general, in anyone. There's, you're not allowed to make someone panic or fear, um, unless you own a spooky house and that's your job. Kidding. I don't know if that's a thing. But, uh, but inducing panic or fear is not to be done, especially when somebody is in a precarious medical state. Now, we have to balance that with not trying to give false hope either. So there's a balance between honesty and respect, and, um, but also not creating a, a, a anxiety and fear. It's a, it's, a, it's a very fine line to walk, and you know, we may never get it perfectly right, but that's at least the, the goal in that. So, but, but getting back to the point here, so vidui, the confession, is recited Yom Kippur, and again, also uh, before one's passing. Maimonides in text 5b says something interesting. He gives us the basic, uh, the vidu that we know, the confessional prayer that we know, is the Ol Alchet. It's like several pages long in the prayer books, and it's, again, we do it once a year, but it goes through a whole list of different various iniquities, transgressions, and, and sins. But on a most basic level, there is a script that, again, Maimonides gives us that is kind of the abridged version, and this is what I want to highlight for a moment. Take a look at 5b. 
Okay, I'm going to read this one. It's page 7, and here we go. Um, the confessional prayer customarily recited by all Israel is, and he quotes, For we have all sinned. Chatanu. Chatanu. Avala nachnu chatanu. We have all sinned. This is the essence, he says, this is the essence of the confessional prayer. Sins that were confessed on one Yom Kippur should be confessed on another Yom Kippur. Oh, look at that. Oh, well, this is a different case. Even though one remains steadfast in his repentance. In other words, even if you never did it again, you should still confess to it. Why? As it is written, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sins are always before me. Chatasi negdi summit. My sins, my past always confronts me. And therefore, even if we've turned over a new leaf, even if we've, you know, even if we haven't uh, um, uh, uh, retreated back into the negative behavior, we should still recite the confessional prayer um, with those details, the subsequent Yom Kippur. Okay, but here's, here's my point. In this abridged essential, what he calls the essential script of the confessional prayer, which of the three expressions of sin do we use? You see that? I'm going to highlight it here for the online folks, but it's in the parentheses. For we have all sinned, look in the parentheses, chatanu. That is the chet. That is, and, and what is chet? If you recall from what we said before, chet is the unintentional sins, which means that the essential prayer that we say are, is the unintentional, for, for the, the confessional prayer is for the unintentional since this is expl- um, uh, stated explicitly in the Code of Jewish Law, text number six, which I'll read, if one didn't specify his sins but merely says, I have sinned, chatasi, chatati, I've sinned, he has fulfilled his obligation of vidoy, you've confessed. In other words, the basic requirement is to say the words chatasi, literally one word, sorry, chatasi, chatati, I have sinned. And that's, the basic requirement is really one word, I have sinned. But which word? Sin, this word for sin, chet, is the unintentional. So one second, one second. How does that, how does saying, I sinned, I made a mistake, how does that help for all the sins that we didn't make a mistake for? Are you with me on my question? Let me, let me emphasize my question. As we go through life, we do things, many things, that aren't so, as they say, ay ay ay, right? Aren't so... Is that the kosher? Great. Ay, ay, ay. Aren't so kosher. We might say ay, 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 right? Or ay, ay. So, ay, vavoy, right? They're not so, it's not so, not so hot, right? We do things that are not so, you know, not so perfect. Fine. Because never. Present company excluded, obviously. Because we're human beings, right? And we're human beings. So, we do some, we do things in each category. We do some things by accident, unintentionally. We didn't mean to, we just messed up. We do things intentionally. We couldn't hold ourselves back. And then we do things sometimes... We do things specifically, you know, you know, just for whatever reason to rile up, whatever. So that's, that's as we go through it. So we say, you have to confess the sins. And what's the basic requirement of confession? To say, I have chatasi, chatati, I've sinned. But that's the unintentional version. How does that help for all the sins that we did intentionally? So we did an intentional sin, but when we verbalize the confession, what are we saying? Whoops, I made a mistake. That sounds a little dishonest. Who are we trying to fool? Us or us or God? Right? We stand before God and say, whoops, I'm so sorry. I didn't see that coming. Really? Really? I'm pretty sure, at least for some of them, you did see coming. You, you knew exactly what's going on. And some of them, maybe even, you were poking a finger. Maybe. I'm not saying for sure, but it's possible. How could the essential vidu, how could the essential confessional prayer um, be expressed with that most innocuous term of Chatati, which is, I have sinned unintentionally. I hope the question is, is clear-ish. It's fine if it's not, because I really want to get to the, to the core of the idea, which hopefully will blow your mind. 
to get to the real understanding of, of this topic, we need to understand what are the components of teshuva. We spoke about one of them, the verbal confession, but what are the components? As Maimonides says, and this is, again, this class is driven heavily by Maimonides because he is the, you know, the, 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 the author of the Mishnah Torah, which is basically the whole of Jewish law. So Maimonides clarifies that when it comes to teshuva, uh, personal rehabilitation, there are actually three steps, three key steps. And I'm going to say them in order. We'll read it inside in a moment. The three steps in order are, number one, azivat hachet. You have to leave the sin, the negativity behind. You got to, can't be doing that anymore. Step number one is stop. Stop, drop, and roll. No, stop, <laughs> stop, stop it. Right? Step one is stop. You're doing something wrong, stop. Step one. Step two is regret. Regret. Feel bad about it. Yeah, regret it. Step three is the confession. All that we've been talking about so far today is really step three. Let's read this inside. Text number seven. I'm going to read this again. Text seven. This is page number eight. Here we go. Three steps of tshuva. What constitutes tshuva? My mind is asked rhetorically. Here we go. That a sinner should abandon his sins. Abandon his sins and remove them from his thoughts, resolving in his heart never to commit them again. As it is written, may the wicked abandon his ways. Similarly, he must regret. Okay, so, so one second. So step number one is not doing it again. Not doing it again. <coughs> Moving on. That's one. Number two. I, and I don't like the word similarly. I would have, um, I would have translated that differently. I would have said um, additionally. Right? Not similarly. It's not, it's, not, it's not a similarity. It's additionally. In addition to step one is step two, which he must regret the past. As it is written, after I return, I regret it. So it's after return. Notice, after I return, I regret it. It's not regret, then return. It's first return, then regret, which we'll get to in a moment. He must reach a level where he who knows the hidden will testify concerning him that he will never return to the sin again. As it is written, he will no longer say to the work of our hands, you are a God's. Okay, step three, he must verbally confess and state these matters that he resolved in his heart, you have to actually verbalize them. So we have three steps. Step number one is abandoning the negative behavior. Right? So imagine, let's just use an easy example. Imagine someone is robbing from the company. Right? Imagine there's an accountant, and the accountant is siphoning off money, moving money around to a personal account, and uh, you know, you know, taking tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, and, and so step one is stop. Stop transferring the money. Stop the theft. That's it. We're not going to go further before you stop. I feel so bad as you're grabbing. Stop. <laughs> step one is stop. You know what that's called? It's not even my expression. It's the Talmud's expression. That means you're going to mikvah with a dead weasel in your hand. Right. A dead weasel is why you have to go to mikvah. Imagine you go to mikvah holding on to the dead weasel. It's like, I got the rat. I'm not suggesting anybody hold on to a dead rat because that sounds entirely gross. But imagine you're holding on to the dead rat in your hands and you're like dunking in the mikvah. I'm clean. I'm kosher. Actually, you're not. Right. I'm so sorry. I can't believe what I've done as I'm just hitting transfer, transfer, transfer. That doesn't work. So step one is stop. Step two is, whoops, not whoops, I feel bad, I messed up, owning it, owning it, regretting it. Step three is, verbalizing it, and we talked about the power of verbalization a moment ago. 
So those are the three steps. Step one, step two, step three. Yeah. I have a question. Yeah, I thought Judaism distinguished between thoughts and actions and that it's the action or the lack of action that really matters. So how do you remove sin from your thoughts completely? So Sometimes you don't act on it. Yeah, isn't, I understand what you're. So, so Linda's asking a good question, and I'll put it up on the screen here right now. Linda's asking if you look at Maimonides, yes. huh? No, for yeah, for a friend, right? No, okay. Listen, we're all friends, right? Everyone's asking for a friend. So it says, Truva is that a sinner should abandon his sins and remove them from his thoughts. And your question is, well, how do you remove sins from your thoughts? The answer is. You can't stop your thoughts from thinking, but you can redirect your thoughts. So instead of like dwelling on the negative thought, okay. it's about moving off of that. So it's, right? So try to that type of thing. Redirect, redirect. Okay. Yeah. That's what if you can't? What if you keep having to redirect? Like That's fine. That's normal. The difference I once heard is like this. Imagine you're browsing the internet, 1990. When was a good, when was like a ridiculous time to browse the internet? Like, no, now everyone has, I mean, I hope, pop-up blockers and ad blockers and all that stuff. But back in the day, like, nine, let's go like 1995, 1996, right? You got your Netscape fired up. You got your AOL five-hour uh, CD in the mail, right? You're ready to go. You're looking up, you're looking up Ask Jeeves, you know, for, for information. It's a, wild, it's a wild west out there. It's like, who knows? Who knows what you're going to get? And then you get pop-ups. So hold on, hold on. Here's the answer. Here's the one answer. So, so the difference is like this. The fact that you got a pop-up, that's not your doing. The question is, where do you click? On the, X button? On, on the, on the, do you close the window or do you, okay. or do you open it? Okay. There you go. So it comes to mind. It pops up in your brain. So now what do we do with it? Do we like, oh, actually, let's, let's, uh, let's think about that for a moment. Or are we like, you know what, whoop, let, moving on, moving right along. Okay. Okay. So, so we're never going to stop it from coming to our mind. The question is, what do we do next? Let's we move on from that. See that? Netscape. <laughs> Netscape. <laughs> Ask Jeeves. Yes. <laughs> so what about restitution? So in this example, your example would be giving the money back, or typically, you know, you'll apologize to right. the person. So, but that's not one of the steps you mentioned. Right. So this is referring to sins between us and God. And I, I gave an example of theft, and I know I'm mixing, uh, mixing some chalent beans over here. I get that. But nonetheless, um, hopefully it's, yeah, it, restitution would be part of step one, really, would be part of step one. I can't tell you I'm sorry if I still have your money in my pocket. It's not going to work. So that, that's really, it's not mentioned here, but that would be, this would be between us and God. But your example, between us and others, that would be part, restitution would be part of step one. Step one would be stopping and making the other one whole, right? That would be step one. You can't say, I'm sorry, forgive me, whatever. You can't, like, own up to it while you're still holding on to that person's guilt. It just doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. That's like dipping in the mikvah, holding. You're saying it's implicit. Yeah, implicit in stopping and, and, and abandoning sin is that you've, You've made it, made it right, which, yeah. And then, so here's, here's the powerful thing. And this is really the whole point of today's class is this one point that I'm about to share. Oof, I feel like we should do a drum roll. The whole point is this. Maimonides outlines three, three steps of tshuva. Number one, abandoning sins. Abandoning sin. Number two, regret. Number three, verbal confession. 
It might sound like these are three parallel steps, but in truth, there's one and then two more. Step one is the essence of tshuva. Steps two and three are the icing on the cake. Step one is the essence. Steps two and three are what makes it a complete experience and a whole experience, but that doesn't make the essence of the experience. Let me say this very clearly. Tshuva, the core and the essence of teshuva is stopping the negative behavior. The fact that you feel bad about it, that you've confessed, that you're all of that stuff is wonderful. It, it all makes it a more enriching experience and makes it a, sincere, a more sincere experience inside and outside and whatever. But the first step is the most important step and the most essential step because that is what constitutes the change. Shuva is about change. Which step is change? That's the first step. The second step, the third step, it's all about how I feel. That's all feelings. Feelings are great. It's great to feel the regret. It's great to feel the pain of what I've done. It's great to verbalize that and, you know, put it out there in the world so that everyone knows I'm not hiding. Wonderful. That's all, it's all, it's all very praiseworthy. But the core, the essence of tshuva is literally behaving differently. That's step one, is behaving differently. I was doing something wrong, I'm no longer doing the wrong. Does that make sense? The essence of tshuva is stopping the negative behavior. In my example of the accountant, right, st- the, the essence of tshuva is stopping the stealing, right? It's stopping ripping off the other. If we're verbally um, acting in a harmful way to someone else, right? It's the essence is not doing that. If it's whatever it is, the essence of that of tshuva is not doing the negative behavior again or anymore, stopping that negative behavior. Let me read this inside. This is text number nine. Let's see this in the language, in the words of the Alter Rebbe, the founder of Chabad. All right, text number nine. This is page number ten. The biblical obligation of tshuva is merely, and I don't like that word merely, it's essentially to abandon one's sin. That's it. That's all you need to know. The essence is abandoning the sin. Okay? I am pretty sure that's all we need from this text. So that's the core of tshuva. The core is abandoning sin. Everything else is icing on the cake. The fact that I feel bad about it, the fact that I confess it, all of that is wonderful, but the core of tshuva is not doing it anymore. Okay, so this is very important on, on multiple levels. When you, let's talk about people, okay? This is very important. When you talk about people, you do something, not you, someone else, right? Present company excluded. You do something that hurts someone else. What's most important to them? How you feel about it? Do they care how you feel about it? What? You did something to harm someone else. What's the most important thing for them? Make a right. Make a right. Number one, stop hurting them. And make a right. The fact that how you feel, I I, I, got to say this. Here's the problem with apologies. Nine out of ten times, I'm just being generous, ten out of ten times, apologies are the person playing victim. Every single time. Every single time. Every single time. So what's going on? And and understand the psychology of this. The whole concept of the sin is that the person was thinking about themselves and not the other. So now you come to apologize on what do you do? Still thinking about yourself. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I feel so bad. I care how bad you feel. I don't care how bad you feel. Make it right. Right? I, I want to know that you're not going to do it again. I want to know. Yes. See, and we, we, we don't, we, uh, when we're on the receiving end, we know it. When we're on the asking end, we mess it up every time. Every time. Because we're missing the core nakuda. The core point is that sin is aziva sachet. Sin, sorry. Whoa, what did I say there? Tshuva, not sin. Tshuva, right? Repentance, return is aziva sachet. Is abandoning the sin. It's not wallowing in self-pity. It's not about how bad I feel. I'm confessing my sin. Isn't that great? As step two and three maybe, but not step one. Step one is stop hurting me. Right? Step one is not how you, I should feel bad, how bad you feel. So you hurt me, and now you're coming to me with a sob story about how bad you feel about hurting me. Now, now what am I supposed to do with that? So now you hurt me, and instead of feeling like you're going to make this right, I'm feeling now that I have to be sympathetic to the fact that you hurt me. Yeah. Great. So now, I, and now I'm comforting you. So, but we do this all the time. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not being critical. I'm just saying we do this all the time. Everyone does this. Because it's really hard to get it right. And it's not about semantics. It's about actually getting it right. What is tshuva? Tshuva is not how I feel. Tshuva is about not doing the wrong. I messed up. I did the wrong. I'm not doing it again. I am pledging to not do this again. I was thinking about myself. I will think about you. I will put, your, I will put you first. These are things that actually speak to the solution as opposed to just... But again, I, I, wanna, I, I know I said this before, but I said it almost in passing. I want to make sure to put a yellow highlighter and underline this 12 times because this, I believe, is the core idea. We mess up because we're thinking of ourselves. To undo the mess up, we have to stop thinking about ourselves. If in the process of undoing the mess up, we're still thinking about ourselves and how we feel about it, guess what? We're still in the problem. We're not in the solution. We're still... The whole problem was ego. Like, I, I hurt someone. Why? Because I wasn't thinking about them. I was thinking about myself. And this is what I needed. So I, wasn't, I totally did not consider their feelings. I just considered my feelings. So now my apology, I'm going to also only consider my feelings. Guess what? It's still the same sin. It's still the same problem. Right? I, I, I did the wrong by thinking of myself. And I'm trying to undo the wrong by thinking of myself. I'm not fixing anything. To undo it, I have to undo it completely, which means I'm not thinking about myself anymore. It's not about how I feel. I'm not doing it again. I recognize that it was wrong, right? Etc. I'm not going to script out an apology. I'm just saying that this is, this is, this is the, the Jewish perspective on Shuvah. Shuvah is actually abandoning the sin. It's not doing it anymore. It's not committing the transgression. It's not committing the sin. It's not committing the iniquity. It's not doing it anymore. And it's not going, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm not doing it anymore. I stopped and I'm not going to do it anymore. That's the core. After that, I'm sorry. I apologize. You know, etc. All, all of the other stuff can come after that. But step one is Aziva Sachet. Yeah. So what's between that and uh, what can I do to make it right? That, that could be part of it. What can I do to make her? But that's also... Oh, oh I hear, okay. It's both ways. You're right. Okay, Marnina's is asking a subtle question. If, a, if you say to the person, okay, I feel bad about this. What can I do to make it right? So it, 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 could, it could be both. See? How do, you, how do you feel about that? How do you no, feel? That, what do you think? No, 
Because that's still about you or about them? It's still about you. Still about you. Because I want to make a right. I want to make a right. So, but I mean, like, I want to make you right for you. Right. Yeah. It could go both ways. I, I, okay, I don't know. It's a, it's a good question. What can I do to make it right? What can I do to make it right? So on the one hand, you could say I'm trying to make it right. I want to make it right by you. On the other hand, it's about still trying to be relieve my guilt. So it's still about me. I think it's a... Not always. That's true. All right. Rabbi. Yes. Ray, hey. Um, must you, must you, if someone asks you for forgiveness, must you say okay? No. If not, not if they don't, not if they don't mean it. And, and it's okay to say, no, I can't forgive you. If they don't mean it, you don't have to forgive. If they mean it, you should forgive. You don't have to, though. But you should. You should. There's no mitzvah, there's no obligation to accept forgiveness. There's an obligation to ask for forgiveness. There's, there's an obligation to ask for forgiveness, and one should accept, sorry, one should accept the request and grant forgiveness if asked properly. Yeah, it also depends on context, right? There's, yeah, there's no, there's no one-size-fits-all. Yeah. Life is complicated. Let's put it that way. Life is like a box of chocolates, and it's complicated. Very complicated. Yes. After the Holocaust, um, the Germans, you know, uh, owned what they did wrong, and they wanted to make restitution. They said, you know, what can I do to make this right? And they, you know, had funds for the survivors and aid to Israel. Well, and there's two. There's two issues. There's uh, there's money, and then there's life. And I don't know if money compensates for life. That might be, but that's another conversation. How do you how do you do tshuva? for taking lives. That's a very complicated topic, and that's, uh, that's beyond the scope of, of this conversation right now. That's, that's, an, that's an offline conversation. If but they, they you offer- claims that they've changed, you know, the, all the that could, monuments. I, I don't know, I mean, it could be. I'm just saying that, that a compensation fund is one thing. That can compensate, you know, for lost income, for whatever, but Life is, is, is infinite value. That's a co- more complicated topic for how to do tshuva on that. There, it's discussed in Judaism, but that's, that's, that's going to take us way, way beyond the time that we have allotted oh, yet. Yeah. because I was going to ask, are there some things that are unforgivable? Okay, that's another question. Are there things that are unforgivable? Po- possibly, possibly. All right, but let's, let's tie this up because we're at the time now and I want to make sure we have a, a clear lesson and a clear walkaway, a takeaway. So again, we saw from Maimonides that there are three steps. Step one is stopping the wrong, ending the wrong, correcting the wrong, right? It's fixing the problem. That's step one. Step two is the regret. That's your emo- how you feel about it. Step three is verbalizing that, confessing. But all of those are icing on the cake. It, look, it complements, it completes the tshuva, but the core of the tshuva is stopping the Wrong. It's stopping the problem. It's, it's, it's stopping the hurt. So that is the most essential piece. With this, we can understand why when it comes to confession, the most basic version of the confession is chatati, which means I've sinned unintentionally. But what about all the intentional sins? Bottom line is, you're saying that something happened and I'm going to fix it. So yes, you're not owning up to all the details, but remember, those were step two and three anyway. Owning up to all the gory details were step two and three. That's icing on the cake. The most important piece is, is actually moving 
away from that negative behavior, stopping the hurt and stopping the negativity. And so thus, when it comes to the verbal confession, even if someone says, you know, whoops, I messed up, after they've stopped the hurt, if they say, you know, I messed up, but it was, wasn't 100% intentional, whatever, if they're, they're shifting like that, it doesn't actually affect the core of teshuva because the core of teshuva is the idea of stopping the problem. And I want to give you another, exa- another way of, 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 um, of considering this. Imagine there's a very important job that needs to be done. Imagine you are, I'm trying to think of a good example. Imagine, oh, here's a good example. Imagine you're an astronaut. You're in outer space. It's a $10 billion mission, a $100 billion mission. And something very important that needs to be done. There's a button that has to be pressed at a certain place in outer space. There's a button, a big red button that has to be pressed at the right time to accomplish the mission. That's the whole mission. You got to hit that button. And imagine the astronauts in outer space and the astronauts goofing off, doing somersaults and fooling around and, you know, uh, chewing gum and blowing bubbles and I don't know why that came to mind. But whatever, imagine like, oh, pouring water, catching it in a cup, woo, you know, doing the back, whatever it is, right? Doing all that stuff, goofing off, totally goofing off. And NASA's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Oh, I'm having fun, I don't care. And then imagine if at some point the astronaut wakes up and says, what am I doing? Oi, what am I doing? I have a mission. Let me ask you a question. If the astronaut's in that position to hit the red button, and I was in, the, in, the, in outer space, you think headquarters HQ in, uh, in Houston wants to hear an apology? What do they want? Mission accomplished. They want to hit that. Hit the button. Stop talking. Hit the button. You with me on this? Mm-hmm. I don't want to know how bad you feel about your somersaults. You know why? Because you're still doing somersaults. Verbal somersaults. Stop somersaulting. You have a button to hit. Hit the button. Are you with me on this? Yeah. Yeah. We have a mission. God put us on this earth to do a mission. So we get distracted. And we say, oh, I'm so sorry I got distracted. I'm so sorry. Guess what? Still distracted. Start getting the job done. You with me on this? Step one of tshuva is, Aziva Sachet, stop fooling or stop goofing off. Get back onto the mission. Get back on track. That's what God wants. That's what the other one wants in a relationship also. They want to know how bad you feel? No, they want you to, to, to respect them, to get back on track. That's the main thing is tachlis, the tachlit. The main thing is the main thing. That's what they want. That's what everyone wants. There's a button to press. I need to read your 10-page apology. It's like, press the button. Everyone's going to be like, press the button. What are you doing? No, do your apologies when you land on earth. We can hug it out. Don't care. Right now, press the button. In life, we can go on apology tours. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You can publish op-eds. You can do, right, you can do press conferences. Or you can fix the problem. Guess what's most important in Judaism? Hit the button. Press the button. Um, what I, I, I've lost my words. Get, the fix the problem. Hit the button. Get the job done. If it requires some restitution, make the, I don't mean financial only, make the restitution, make it right, get it done, get back on track. You'll worry about the emotional layers a little bit later. But right now, get back on track. If there's one thing you can say about Judaism, it's that it's action-oriented. Or more than action-oriented, at more precise, it's practical, practically driven. It's probably not a good phrase, but it's, it's all about 
practice. Action is king. Action is primary. We live in a world of action. It's not about how we feel and what we thought and what we meant. It's about what we're doing. So bottom line is, if we're doing the right thing, keep on doing it. If we're not right now doing the right thing, no problem. Do the right thing. How you feel about it, don't worry about that right now. People would, write, people would write to the Rebbe letters. People would write letters to the Rebbe all the time. Like, oh, I have this problem and that problem and this distraction and that distraction. I'm trying to dive in and have these distracting thoughts. Nine out of ten times, the Rebbe would write back. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Just do the right thing. Like, oh, what should I do? I have this all. The- just, 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 just do it. Just, just do. You know what the, you know what the right thing. Just do it. Ah, how you feel about it? That you're still being distracted. It's holy distraction, Batman. It's the same. It's still the animal soul. It's still the eight Sahara. It's still a distraction. If you're not doing what you need to be, if you're not hitting the button because you feel so bad about not hitting the button, guess what? You're still not hitting the button. Are you with me on this? Yes. yes. You're still not hitting Hit the button. All right, Adina Malka, jump in. You know, though, at night, we say that we forgive people. It says, you know, we forgive them whether they hurt us accidentally or intentionally, inadvertently or deliberately. We forgive them before we even know whether they stop the behavior or ask. Right. Right. Good. Excellent. You're right. At at the bedtime Shema, we act... um, beyond the letter of the law. We act beyond the letter of the law. The letter, before the question, I, and I hope I wasn't misleading my, my response earlier, the question that I believe Ray asked was, what is the obligation? There's no obligation to grant forgiveness, you know, in, in, in the person should be sincere, etc. But what should we do? We should sometimes even unilaterally forgive. Right? Even if they've never copped up to it, owned up to it, even if they've never asked forgiveness, because that's about letting go, which is healthy for ourselves. It's not healthy to hold on to toxins in our lives. It's not healthy to hold on to resentment for ourselves. For ourselves. Right? It's not healthy to go to sleep angry, tense. I'm talking about even physically. Forget spiritually. First of all, spiritually, for the soul. The soul, when we go to sleep, the soul is supposed to cut ties on some level with the body and be able to, re, to, um, to drink from the water, so to speak, metaphorically, to drink from the spiritual waters and to be rejuvenated. You can't do that if you're stuck. If you're holding on to all this baggage, let go of the baggage, right? Number one, you know when you walk into the airport, you know what the first thing you do? You have a lot of bags. First thing you do, check them in. It's great because now I can walk to the airport unencumbered, baby, right? I, got, I can walk. Imagine you have all the, you got your... All, who can walk through the whole airport like that? You want to go through a whole night holding on to all that baggage? It's not healthy. So, right? we, we just say, that's it. I'm out. I'm done. Forgiveness. Right? Don't worry. You can still collect the next morning. You can still collect the debts next morning. But it means that I'm not going to go to sleep angry. I'm not going to put myself through that. Spiritually, it's not healthy. Emotionally, psychologically, it's not healthy. Emotionally, it's not healthy. You want to go to sleep with resentments? No. You know what they say. Resentment is like drinking poison and hoping the other one's going to yeah. die. Yeah. That's not yeah. good. Yeah. Someone's living rent-free in your head. Not good. Don't do that. Don't do that. Right? Let it go. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're right. Doesn't mean that they're a tzaddik. They still have to own up. But that's their issue. It's not my issue. 
Because, right, I don't have to, I don't have to, like, I don't have to be hurt because of their issue. Anyway, so that's, that, that's with regards to that. But the, 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 the mitzvah, the obligation is that if you do something wrong, you, number one, stop doing it, make it right, and that's the obligation. How you feel about it, the regret, the verbal confession, wonderful, icing on the cake. That's after the main thing. And again, we all know what it's like to hear someone apologize and have them make it about themselves. You're like, really? You call this an apology? And I thought you cared about me. Sounds like you're still thinking about you. Oh, well, I guess we're still in a problem. That's, that's, that's an apology that doesn't work. An apology that doesn't work is one that focuses on yourself. Apology that works, tshuva that's real, is when it focuses on the solution, right? And, but don't make it too clinical either. Like, I think we can fix this. Like a robot, right? Let's just fix this. All right, make it about them. Make it about the, hit the button. Hit the button back, man, yeah. Kind of remind me of the saying where the guy says, Enough about me. What do you think about Yeah, it's like the guy who goes on a date. Marnie reminds me. Guy goes on a date. Two hours talk about himself. Finally says, all right, enough about me. What do you think about me? All right. Very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, right? We've all been there. All right, friends. Thank you. Look, I want to say this. It's great to have the game back. It's great to be back together. All right. We're, we're back for Torah studies, and we're back pretty consistently. We're off for two weeks. We've got a new season. we got a new book. This one has tumbleweeds. Ooh. Love. Oh, no, no. Hay? Bales of hay? Bales of hay. I'm, not, I'm not from out west, apparently. Not from, not from a kibbutz either. Not from a kibbutz either. <laughs> These are bales of hay, my friend. You can get this book. Well, no, you can't get the well, teacher's book. Mm-mm. But you can get Kansas. It's like a very non-Jewish It has a very... Midwestern, yeah. Of course, Kansas. Or, I don't know. It says, I'm, I read Torah studies. Seems kind of Jewish to me. Okay. So we might not be in Kansas anymore. We might also not be in Jerusalem anymore. But this is Torah studies. If you want to get a copy of the book, this is, this is lesson one. There are 12 lessons in the book. Um, and this is lesson one of this new series. But when it ends, we always just roll into the next one. So don't worry, it's not ending anytime soon. But here's the thing. You can buy it on Amazon. Um, the links are in the email that I send out from like the, the graphical email, if that makes sense, in words, which it doesn't. If you need that link for Amazon, bottom line is hit me up. I'll, t- I'll email it to you and I'll, I'll get that to you. And you can order your own book, send to your home, Amazon. Can take care of that. Um, next announcement, very important announcement. I call this a VIA. Is that we've had a schedule change. For, very important announcement. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and that is that uh, we've had a schedule change to Rosh Chodesh Society. It's supposed to be this Monday, but we have a last-minute conflict, and it's going to be pushed off a week till next Monday. So for those that are joining us for RCS, it will be our final session, not May 2nd, but May, May 9th. What that gives you, though, is an extra day to prepare for the big blowout bash, the wine and cheese event that's taking place right here on May 3rd, Tuesday night. It's going to be an incredible evening. Wine tasting and cheese tasting, tasting, eating, consumption. Yeah, we have a sommelier who is... A, sampling. Sampling. Cheese sampling. There you go. Cheese sampling, wine tasting. We have more than just wine and cheese, though. It's going to be a full-fledged event. We have old-school Hasidic tunes that will play in the background. We're going to be having just an incredibly fun evening. It's a great. Oh, and I'll be teaching a 
presentation on the Kabbalah of wine. If you want to know about the spiritual meaning of wine, join me for that event. All right, Monday night, 7.30, it's called Wine and Cheese. It, it's, that's very literal title. It's Wine and Cheese. Not even the Wine and Cheese event. It's just Wine and Cheese. And that's what you're going to get. Wine and Cheese. Tuesday night the 3rd? Tuesday night the 3rd. 7.30 p.m. It's going to be a ton in person only. Now, you could... By, by the way, I want to say this. We have such incredible wines on the way. These are wines that you will not get locally. You cannot get them in Atlanta. We have a special supplier. These are imported wines, internationally imported wines. We have imported cheese that's coming in. We have just incredible stuff. That's good. There's a lot of French, huh? Yeah. There's a lot of French representation, 100%. Yes, wine and cheese from France and, and, and elsewhere. From France with love. All right, so good. Friends, join that. And also, one final announcement is the following week, we have our brand-new JLI uh, course starting up, a brand-new series. It's called Beyond Right. The title was initially left. Joking. Oh, my gosh, this is terrible. Terrible. They call it Beyond Right. No, Beyond, beyond Right is all about... Listen, listen to the course. Here's the course premise. The course premise is that we're going to take Jewish law, distill the law down to the core principles, and see how Jewish ethics drives Jewish law in an incredible fashion. Fully CLE approved to offer credits for attorneys. If you're not an attorney, you can pretend to be one, and you can still, you know, in a fake way, earn the credit. I'm kidding. No, you're not going to earn any credits. But it's, a, it's, a, it's an accredited course. It's an amazing experience. The case studies are breathtaking. It's a brand new series, six weeks, starting May 10th and May 12th. Do not miss it. You don't want to miss it. All right, final word is I would like to once again wish Adina Malka blessings and long life and good health and happiness for you and the entire Mishpacha on the, in conjunction with your, your father's yard site. May he indeed be a good to better, a good advocate on high. Put in a good word for you and for your son, and for your daughter, and for the whole mishpacha, and for everybody, and for all of us, and let us say, Amen. Laila Tov, everybody. We'll see you all soon. Take care, everybody. Bye, guys. Oh, I love that. So,